0: reading, which you can find on page 1192 in the Church Bible, is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4, reading from verse 1 to verse 8. That's 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 8. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seated as with a, seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and by the good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is the word of the Lord. If
1: you'd like to keep that passage open. I've just lost page one. So, continuing through our journey through Timothy... Have you ever been trying to get somewhere and found it difficult to work out which path to take? So Dave and I were once on holiday on the Greek island of Samos. And we got this book of walks and we found one we really wanted to do. We knew there was only one bus per day to get us back to the resort, but we'd read the book, we'd looked at the map, and we worked out we'd manage it. And when we got off the bus... There were a few other people doing the same walk, we guessed. But we, we went off separately. Following, We were following our instructions. And eventually we came to a beach. It was really nice. One couple went off swimming in the sea. But the instructions just didn't help us. We couldn't find the path off the beach. And we went quite a way one direction, trying to convince ourselves that all the scenery we were passing agreed to the descriptions in the book. We could see some people ahead of us on the path, so we were even more convinced that we were right. But we were meant to get to some caves. We got to some rocks, but there was no way there were caves. So we worked out we were wrong. So we retraced our steps. Eventually, we did find the right path, and we did catch the bus. And we finally discovered that there had been an update to the book. There was a separate piece of paper that we'd not seen, we thought we were following the right instructions. They looked right. They made sense. But we didn't have the full instructions. And the single paragraph that we'd not seen changed the whole section of the walk and nearly turned it into a disaster. Tonight we'll look at <coughs> chapter 4 of this letter of Paul to Timothy and we'll see how some people didn't have a full understanding of the gospel and how they were being led astray with disastrous consequences for their salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand it and to question it when we don't. Help us to have a true picture of you and of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So. As we've already seen in this letter, Paul is continually warning warning Timothy to watch out for false teachers. It was in chapter 1 that we looked at with Steve in verses 3 and 4. And when I looked at the second part of that chapter, it was there again. We saw it again in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. Then there's a couple of chapters that have set out guidance for an orderly church. Really helpful stuff. And chapter four, Paul returns to this earlier theme. I'm going to look at it under two headings deviating from the faith and fit and free in the faith. So, as I've said, warning about false teaching is common throughout Paul's letters. I think some of us have heard a lot of sermons about false teaching. And Paul quite often sets out the consequences of following p- false teachers, but there's not so many places where he actually explains what false teaching was. And it's worth remembering that the early church had no New Testament, no Gospels, no letters, and they discovered that this new faith had actually changed or done away with quite a lot of the teaching of the Jewish faith, where the Jews had relied on keeping the law to to comply. And now they've got to grasp concepts of incarnation, that God could actually be God and be man. And then the church expanded into other countries where the Culture wasn't even Jewish, it was Greek. Timothy's got a Jewish mother and a Greek father. So it must be getting more difficult to work out, actually, what is the true faith? What is heresy? Now, the commentators say that this particular deviance that Paul's addressing is the one known as Gnosticism, though there are some others around at the same time. I've been writing an essay, there definitely are. But it's this one. And the Gnostics were the know-alls, the intellectual ones. They'd done a lot of thinking. And part of this thinking was that they thought they knew that things that other people didn't. And the way they were thinking is that life needs to be separated into two separate compartments that don't touch. So like a Tupperware tub that... You can't slosh the stuff from one to the other. Uh, So one side is the physical life, including a desire for beauty and food and sexual attraction. And the other side was the spiritual side, the soul. And their key thought was that these two sides could never meet. So keep them separate and don't let one interfere with the other. But once you've made this separation, there's two ways of thinking about life. You can either conclude that it doesn't matter what I do with my body because it won't impact my spiritual side. Or you could decide, I must get rid of every desire in my body so that I only focus on my spiritual side. Now, because this is about false teaching, so I want to be really careful. I found an example of the first one in Revelation 2. So when the angel in Revelation 2 writes to the church in Thyatira, the angel says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So it's an example of teaching people that they can eat what they like, sleep with whoever they want, because their physical and spiritual sides are totally separate. I'd say what they do with one side won't impact the other. So that looks to be what was going on in Thyatira, Thyatira. And then the other way of thinking, which seems to have been what was going on in Ephesus, is the the one where you try and get rid of all the physical desire in your body so that you only focus on spiritual things. So physical evil, spiritual good, ascetism. I can't say that word either. But anyway, you know the word I mean. And that meant the less they focused on the physical side, no nice tasty meal is just something just something that you wouldn't really fancy but just keep body and soul together. The more the spiritual side is going to increase. And the consequence of that is what Paul's going through in verse three. So Paul says that people were being forbidden to marry and ordered to abstain from certain food. And this is because they thought that would make them become more spiritual. Like I said, it must have been hard to actually distinguish true teaching from heresy. But that's why Paul's really anxious to give good doctrine and why this passage directly follows a bit that we went through with Augustine last week where it said that he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirits, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up into glory. And Augustine explained that this was a creed. It was probably sung. And if it was sung, people would remember it. You must know the words for hundreds of hymns. You might not know every verse for every hymn, but there will be loads of words you know, and they form your thinking. So Paul was really clever. Give them something they can remember, because most of us aren't good at remembering prose, but we can remember verse, we can sing it. And that that section starts with the statement that Jesus appeared in the flesh, completely, going against this teaching of the Gnostics. So you've got the spiritual and the physical in one together. So that's that's what Paul's bothered about. Paul's teaching that in Christ there's a connection between the flesh and the spirit. And if they're connected in Christ then they're connected in us. In 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 to 20, Paul wrote, Do you you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Which leaves no doubt that the connection was there for Christ and it's there for us. And in verses 4 and 5 of 1 Timothy 4, Paul explains why those Gnostics were wrong. Because he tells Timothy that everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. I'm going to give you just a few passages, I think, show why those Gnostics were wrong. Not in detail, because each one would need its own sermon, but they line up with Paul's conclusion in verse 4 that everything God created is good. So there's a passage, you'll you'll know these passages. There's a passage in Mark 7 where Jesus talks about it's not what we eat that makes us unclean, but our hearts. So that's verse 19. Jesus declared all food's clean and therefore none were forbidden. And then there's a story in Acts 10 when Peter sees a vision of a sheep coming down and all the animals on it and he goes, I can't eat that stuff because it's not pure. And God says, do not call anything that God has made unclean. And then the marriage one. Well, if you want to read 1 Corinthians 7 later, Paul has a lot to say about marriage, but the one thing he doesn't do is forbid people to marry. So, having looked at the risk of following false teachers, let's look at verses 6 to 8 and how Paul intends Timothy to counteract this false teaching. It's all very well saying, don't do it, but how's he going to stop this heresy growing within the church? And how can they be fit and free in the faith? So the first thing we see in verse 6 is that Timothy is told that he must point out these things. They need teaching. He's not to ignore the wrong teaching, just push them under the carpet. This whole little section talks about athletes at the end. And athletes need teaching to make them aware of wrong things they've picked up. They need to learn the right techniques, how to do things the right way, and often, just as important, how not to do things. I'm no athlete, but Andy is. I'm sure somebody taught you how to swim well, not just... Slop, like me. <laughs> yeah. And, and so to learn, people need to be taught by a teacher who knows more than they do. If you're lucky. But it, to, to learn, you really need a teacher who knows more than you do. And like the athletes, we need to be taught. We've got the manual, the instruction book. But it helps when we hear and have things explained. Jesus was always explaining things to his disciples. And Anthony was saying this morning that we are the disciples. And Timothy had been taught by his mother, his grandmother, by Paul. We need to be taught. But then an athlete, once they've been taught, they need to train, they need to practice. There's no point listening to a teacher explain how to run or how to play the piano. You need to practice and work it out and practice, practice, practice. Our musicians practice, usually twice before each Sunday morning service. Dave. He does loads of euphonium practice these days. I think his mum would be amazed. I'm sure he does more than he did when he was a child and supposed to be practicing his trumpet. Anna's doing lots of dancing and she seems to be practicing several times a week and last night she was saying it was four hours this afternoon, her practice. So practice. In verse 7, Timothy's told to have nothing to do with the godless myths. So this is moving on from learning the theory to practice, to being doing some practical stuff. He's got to do something now. Just like the athletes practicing in their regular training session, he's got to use this training he's learned to make a difference to his life by not being influenced so that he can influence others. So as Christians, I was thinking, well, how can we train or practice and one way is, when we meet together with other Christians in small groups, we can discuss and share our concerns. We need to learn to talk about God in a, in a safe space. It trains us. Because if we can't talk about our faith with other Christians, how are we going to be able to talk about it with those who aren't yet Christians? We need that safe space to be trained in godliness. But then, what if you hear something in a Bible study that you don't think is quite right? Or perhaps the words of a new song with a really good tune don't feel quite right. And we have to be careful with songs because it's easy to forget about words. They can be great sources of doctrine like that song that Paul wrote in verse 16, that if we only ever sung songs like I love you, Lord, without balancing them, songs like In Christ Alone, we might lose focus of our beliefs. Or what if I say something wrong? Talk it through with me, with each other. Go and see Dave. We we have to look after ourselves. We have to practice that so that we don't get led astray by godless myths or bits of teaching that aren't correct or play the piano with fat, flat banana fingers because we've not been going to the lessons and practising properly. Practising, being together, it's really important. But once we've been taught and trained and practised, there's only any point in practising if we're going to perform at some time. Otherwise, we'd just give up. Now, these Greek athletes that Paul's referring to, the pinnacle of their performance will have been to enter <coughs> the Olympics. For Anna, it's the inter-varsity dance competition next week at the Winter Gardens. For Dave, it'll be a concert sometimes. But for Timothy, Paul says he's to be godly in his life. That's what he's practising. That's how he's to live. And that he's told that his godliness has a value both in this life and in the life to come. So just like the athletes who are taught and then train, and then perform. It's the same for us as Christians. I think this passage is teaching us to seek good teaching and check that what we're being taught is sound doctrine and not leading us astray. And then we need to train ourselves, putting effort into our practice, Because we know that, as children, we might just have grown taller by existing. But we only grew stronger and healthier and more knowledgeable with some effort. And we won't grow as Christians without the teaching and the practice. And then once we're equipped, we need to be ready for action not just wanting to keep on practising and practising and practising, but we need to be ready and willing to face our performance, our Olympic Games, go out on our front line, ready to explain our faith, ready to point people to Christ, ready to spot false teaching so that people can find true godliness. So I think, in summary, that's what we're called to. To avoid false doctrine, hear good teaching, practice effectively, and perform on your own front line. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray that in all the places you call us, You will show us how to live for you. You will show us how to take the things that we learn, the things that we talk to each other about, and how to explain them to those who don't know you. Pray that this week you will give us those opportunities and we will see you at work. In Jesus' name, amen.